This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Well, Michael Goldberg, welcome back to, uh, to Talk Your Book. You've become a, a crowd favourite, so I really appreciate you coming back on the show. No, Chris, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me back on. Now, talk us through last year's performance. I like to open up opportunity for a humble brag for fund managers that have outperformed. So uh, here's your chance. 2020 was a huge year. Maybe talk us through how, you, how your fund went. Yeah, look, thank goodness it was, it was an amazing year for us financially. Um, you know, we've often said from uncertainty comes opportunity, and there was certainly plenty of uncertainty in 2020. And when the dust all cleared, um, we returned a net return of around about 35% to our investors. So um, I've, I've received many happier calls from investors and several top-ups, but uh, I suppose that's in the past now. And the question isn't what, isn't what we did in 2020, it's what are we going to do in 2021? So hopefully I haven't set the expectations too high for myself, um, but we've got a lot of positions that we're very excited about for the next year or two. And with that in mind, what, uh, what stock do you want to talk about today? I thought we'd talk about a little company that we bought near the depths of, of the COVID crash, a little engineering company called, um, called Decmo. Have you have have you heard of it? I, I took a little bit of five cent placement in Deckmill. I didn't hold on to it, so uh, I've heard of it. And it's uh, look, it's really a turnaround story, isn't it? So maybe talk us through some of the contractual challenges they had leading up to that time and leading up to a CEO change, and then we'll get into the the blue sky of it. Okay, no dramas. So I think starting off, it's worth just giving a bit of an outline of what the company actually yep. is. So basically, they're a civil and building construction company. You know, they got they got four main areas where they focus. Uh, you've got construction, you've got infrastructure, you've got energy and you've got resources. So think about the sorts of things like um, detention centers in construction. Think about infrastructure building like roads and rail and, and bridges. In energy, they've got a number of, of um, wind farms and solar farms and in resources, obviously they help with mine construction and process planting and all that sort of stuff. So they've got a good mix of different clients, very, very blue chip client base actually. You know, you think about the, the federal government, you think about the state government, obviously for the roads and the rails. And then, of course, on, on, on the other sorts of things, they've got, you know, blue chip names like BHP, Rio Tinto and Fortescue. So a really, really solid book of, 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 of A-class um, customers. They were founded in about the 1970s. So they've been going for coming up to 50 odd years by a family out of Karatha and WA. That family name was Criddle. And until June this past year, they were actually involved on a board level. The company also has the highest accreditation you can get for government infrastructure programs. So it means that they're pre-approved when it comes to any bid that they're making on a bridge and a road, which gives them obviously a fantastic competitive advantage. Um, and they tend to only bid on projects where they think they'll be one of two or three um, going for it. So they're looking for those high quality business, sorry, they're, they're looking for those high quality projects um, where they can provide their competitive advantage and, and their special IP. And they don't really compete against those there's more popular, bigger, bigger projects. So you, you tend to find them bidding in the sweet spot of, of under $250 million for, for a project. And, and that really sets them up well um, for focusing on their margins, which, which I think we'll talk about later. Um, margins being, being, being a key focus for them at the moment. They're a wonderful business. As I said, they've been going for about 50 years. They did have a couple of wrong turns in 2018, 2019, and that saw them in some trouble. Um, specifically, they, they saw a bit of a change in their focus. They'd gone from being a business that had really focused on profitability back back in the past to a, a business that was looking to 
uh, to grow almost at any cost. So it was revenue over profitability. And that doesn't tend to be a sustainable, a sustainable approach long-term. You know, I think Warren Buffett calls it the institutional imperative. You know, you find a lot of companies out there that, you know, they're doing two things. Number one, they're growing because they want to feel like they have a bigger business. Mm. And number two, they feel like the competitors are all doing it. So they feel if they don't do it, they're going to be left behind. So, you know, those sorts of decision-making, you know, a little bit of a decentralization um, in terms of decisions around capital allocation. So a lot of deals getting done that wouldn't have otherwise got done had it been centralized. And you saw bad deals, you saw lower margins and you saw, you know, what I call leaky contracts, you know, contracts that ultimately got them into trouble. And as you pointed out, you know, when they did that capital raising batch back in um, April, April, May, yeah. April or May, you know, they really came to the market with their hat in hand, you know, before that they were trading at 20 cents. They were doing the capital raising at 5 cents because they really found themselves in trouble. So, you know, our view was essential at the time. You know, if they don't get the capital capital um, raise away, that they're in trouble. But if they do get the capital raise away, they've actually got some some clear space in front of them. And we thought, you know what, if they can do the capital raising, we're interested in being a part of it. So, you know, they they raised that capital, they got their book in order, but they did come to market and 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 sort of in, in airing their closets and showing the skeletons that were in there. They called out really three main projects that were the troublemakers, the trouble kids, as you were. Um, they had one with BHP out in uh, New South Wales, which has since been resolved. They didn't disclose the settlement terms, um, but from my conversation with management post that settlement, they seem pretty happy with the outcome. They've got another um, contest with a company called Sunraysia. That's a solar farm. Um, I believe it's also out of New South Wales, although don't quote me on that. Started the process of the conflict by going to the, uh, to the industry arbitra. And the industry arbiter actually um, declared in favor of, of Deckmill. And Deckmill is confident that ultimately um, they will actually get some money out of this project and, and, and they don't see it as, as, as a real risk. But Sunraysia has the right to take it to court and they're going to progress through court. It's, it's not surprising. It's, it's a major project for Sunraysia. And so they're looking to get the best deal that they can. And then the third one they called out was a little bit different. Um, it was a detention center out in, in New Zealand. So apparently the relationship they had was with um, a particular manager in the New Zealand Department of Corrections. And I think somewhere along the way, um, that particular manager was moved on and somebody else came in. And my understanding is that it got a little bit heated, a little bit, a little bit conflict. And um, there was a bit of a falling out between the people. And, you know, obviously, whenever, whenever you're in a relationship with somebody, and anytime you're going into a project, someone, you're essentially in a relationship with them. If it falls apart, if the relationship falls apart, it's, it's, it's likely going to have an impact on, on, the pro on the project as well. So unfortunately, that project fell over. Um, it led to Decmo closing their New Zealand business just to cordon off any risk over there. Decmo actually believe that they're entitled to about $60 million worth of, of um, payments still to come. But on the downside, they also recognize that if everything were to go against them, they could be on the hook for as much as $11 million. So look, that's a project that's on the sidelines. That was, that was something that was clearly um, disclosed when they did the capital raising. And look, time will tell if it, if it works out or not. But, but from everything that I can understand, it seems like um, I don't think there's much of a liability there, and I think there might be some risk to the upside. So it sounds like those projects have, have been quarantined, if you like, and they've also got rid of a lot of staff. Has, has the cleanup operations pretty much been done now by the the incoming CEO? Yeah, I mean, look, they'll still have some they'll still have some legacy um, projects that were brought in by previous management, but they're being managed properly, and they've had those tough conversations, as as you would expect, and they've they've really set up these fabulous processes now to make sure that a they don't get the job in the first place and b they're bidding on the right kinds of mm. on the right kinds of projects you know as a company you look at it it's got good bones it's got excellent people and they've got some fantastic ip that you know it's almost unreplaceable 
Um, you know, management have expressed that they've resolved to focus on profitability over revenue, which is fantastic. That's what you want to see. And, you know, sure, it might mean that in the short term, you're going to see a bit of reduction in, in jobs one. That's to be expected as they get their house in order. But, you know, when they do ramp up, we're going to be talking about much better projects with much better margins and, you know, much lower risks. So, you know, that, that really is the sort of approach we want to see from, from, from a quality management team. And one of the things you touched on already was it feels like that the macro environment for a company like Deck Mill is, is highly favourable at the minute. We've got a government both at a, a national level and a state government as well looking to spend money on, on infrastructure projects and, uh, you know, create fiscal stimulus for make up for some of the drop in demand that's COVID caused. That linked to a, a strengthening resources market. You must feel like the macro environment's pretty strong for Deck Mill at the minute. Yeah. Look, Deck, Deck Mill have exposure to... To, again, federal government and local governments, as well as as the resource space. I think last year about half of their about half of their earnings came from infrastructure build, and about half of it came from energy, which I imagine is not that different to resources. So yeah, there's no question that the mountain of money we're about to see coming in to stimulate the the, the country is going to have a meaningful impact. The federal government have already promised something like a hundred billion dollars over the next ten years, mm. and and, and, and the state governments have done even more. They've said we're looking at something like 250 or almost $250 billion. That's billion with a B <laughs> over the next four years. That's a mountain of money. That's a tremendous amount of money. Now, it, not, not all of it is going to be projects that suit Deckmill. Um, you know, like I said before, Deckmill aren't looking to take those massive projects and take that big, big risk on, on their books. They're looking at the sub 250. They've got a couple of projects over 250, but sub 250 is really their sweet spot. So you know you you look at you you look at where their margins are best. You look at where the opportunities have 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 been for them in the last few years. And we're really talking about focusing on Western Australia, um, Victoria, and Queensland. Now, obviously, if, if deals come in in New South Wales or or South Australia or other Northern Territory, they'll, they'll they'll have a look at them. But traditionally, at least, they've seen most of the value in those three states. And between those three states, we're talking about stimulus of about 130 billion dollars mm. over the next five years. So look. I don't know if Deckmill are going to actively target those, those those new stimulus programs. I can't think why they wouldn't, but I don't know if they're actually going to going to win them. But 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 the whole environment changes. If 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 you're if you're pouring in bucket loads of demand, mm. and you've got a finite amount of supply and IP, well then the cost for access to that IP is obviously going to be going upwards, which will be beneficial for any company, whether they're particular whether they're participating specifically in these new projects or whether they're just exposed to the general to the general market. So look, no doubt DEC will have a lot coming down the pipeline. I think I think the pipeline is something like seven to eight billion dollars. Um, but if they can add on top of that perhaps better margins or even more jobs off the back of the stimulus that's, that, that they were about to see, um, they could have exceptional earnings 22, 23, 24. It's 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 quite exciting actually. And talk me through some of the numbers. Talk me through the market cap, what their earnings are forecast to be this year, and maybe some of the potential growth you could see happening in the next year or two. I think it's worth keeping in mind with this sort of a company that it takes some time for projects to ramp up. So, mm. you know, even if you're engaging in the tender process in 2021, you might not actually see any work from it until 2022, 2023 and further out. So to my mind, at least, given that they're reorganizing their house and getting their books in order, it's not really a fully a 2021 story. It's more like a 2022 story. In terms of market cap, they're sitting around about the 70 to $75 million market cap. So not a big company. Um, but like I said, they, they, they found themselves shrinking to greatness, which I have no problem with. I think expectations, both for myself and from some broker reports I've recently, is for um, cash earnings in 2022 to be around about the 18 to $20 million mark. 
Hmm. Um, 2023, we're probably looking at that getting to as high as 30, $35 million. So when you, the, when, you, when you look at the market cap and you account for their assets for sale, they've got, they've got a, a big village that they, that they own and operate out of Queensland that they have conservatively, conservatively valued at about $50 million. Well, and that's been linked to the quarantine. Potentially, could be used to quarantine people. Is that right? Yeah, it was. It was, it was brought up. It was brought up a long time ago. It's, it's in the middle of nowhere, Queensland. Um, yeah. It's 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 near mine sites, and traditionally, it's been used as a as a village for um for mine workers. They would live there when they're on site, and then they'd go home, and you know, and yeah. and the cycle continues. And they did flag the idea. The, the federal, I think, the federal government approached them um, early on, suggesting that perhaps they could use that village as a, as a national quarantine center. It didn't go ahead. It would have been yeah. wonderful for the business in their earnings. It, it unfortunately <laughs> didn't go ahead. Um, I, I suspect they decided to instead to, to, to do regional quarantine. So if you're headed to Victoria, you get to stay in Victoria. If you're headed to New South Wales, you get to stay in New South Wales. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not privy to the details of, of what went down and what didn't go down there, but um, it didn't get signed, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but that was what, you know, they had that on their books at about $80 million pre the capital raising. As part of the capital raising, they reduced it down to $50 million. So you know, you, if, if you take that $50 million worth yeah. of potential sale assets out, we're talking about a market cap of $25 million against potential earnings in 2022. Again, there are some risks to 2022 because it's, it's a little while away. And yeah, 2021 might still be ugly because they're still dealing with what they're dealing with. But it's looking quite cheap. Yeah, it is. So talk me through their, their, their balance sheet there. We, we spoke about it getting cleaned up in April. What's their balance sheet look like? Um, well, I've got net cash of some in the vicinity of about $20 million. Um, they they have access to facilities, obviously, to to fund working capital projects. Um, but I believe they paid, if not if not all of that debt down, I believe they paid the vast majority of the debt down. I, yeah. I'm afraid I don't have the numbers right in front of me at the moment. Yeah. Um, but I did note that interest coverage in 2023 is, I believe, in the teens. So yeah. so 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 they they're well and truly covered in terms of financing their debt. Um, I suppose that happens when um, when you go and raise essentially a market cap. Um, to, to reset yourselves. And again, from a balance sheet perspective, it was absolutely a reset in, um, in May, in April, May. Um, in terms of the actual operating op operations of the business, you know, I, 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 know you, I know you want to call it a turnaround, but, but the truth of the matter is, at least in my mind, the business itself is still sound, you know? Mm. Yeah, they, they veered off track for sure. You know, there were some poor management decisions that led, that led to some poor outcomes. But, you know, we're not chucking a Yui on a four-lane highway. We're sort of, <laughs> you know, we're making a, you know, a veer to the right back onto, back onto track. That, that's the way I like to think. I didn't mean turnaround as a derogatory term, Michael. No. I... <laughs> well, we can talk about turnarounds too, if you like, but... Um, now, talk to know, me about... Talk to me about their margins then. You've mentioned that a couple of times, about that being a, a key focus. What sort of margins... Call it maybe in eighteen months' time, when when the projects are well and truly operating at, at full capacity. What sort of margins can a, a business like Deck Mill expect? Do you think? Look, it's it's obviously a contracting business, so margins aren't going to be wonderful relative to other sorts of businesses. But um, I believe, without them explicitly stating what their margin goals are, my understanding is they're they're looking at having margins that are around about the high single digit level, so you know yeah. eight to nine percent. So you know. On that basis, assuming some forty odd million dollars worth of overheads, you know, we think they're probably going to make about six hundred odd million dollars worth of, of of business in twenty twenty two, and we think that might go as high as seven fifty. I've seen some broken yeah. notes suggesting even higher in twenty twenty three. So that that's the basis on which, you know, I'm calling out the the twenty odd million dollars worth of, of of cash earnings in twenty twenty two and the thirty to thirty five million odd in in twenty thirty three. So um, 
you know, certainly, certainly there are some risks. Um, you know, the, the broader market risks. You know, the market's looking expensive. It's getting a little bit scary. But mm-hmm. I suppose for us, it's been scary since, since 2017. And had we exited then, our investors would have <laughs> would have missed out on some wonderful opportunities, as would have we. Um, so, you know, when it comes to the macro stuff, you've got to keep it in mind, but it can't be the driver of the decision making. You know, I, I think we've spoken about the risk of inflation in the future as well. You know, again, at some point, it's probably going to be a problem. But, you know, what proportion of your of your time and mental energy should be dictated to trying to work out the implications? I think it becomes a bit of a, a you know, a moving target and a bit more effort than, than the value you're likely to get out of even, even coming up with a legitimate answer or outcome. And so when you're looking at a company with a new CEO, we, we won't label it a turnaround story, Michael, but a, a newish CEO. Well, I'm, I'm not offended. It's not, it's not my company. I'm just an investor. But I tell you but, what, Dickie, Dickie will take offense. <laughs> well, D- Dickie's doing a good job from all reports. How would you view, when you're looking through your investment process, how do you analyze a company with a new CEO that is making some changes versus a company with a management team of a five to six year track record do you view it differently or is your investment process the same for both companies? Look, I think it's horses for courses. You know, I was, I was reading a book recently on um, some of Warren Buffett's better investments. And one of the running themes seems to be um, a change in a temporary change in circumstance um, or a change in management, but the management team put in the right sort of processes and whatnot. Mm. I think it's worth noting, certainly with Deckmill, it's not like Dickie and Peter, who are the two fellows who, who, who we've had conversations with and, and we've met. It's not like they were coming out of left field. Mm. These are two guys who have worked for Deckmill on and off for years. These are people who've got 25 years plus of experience in the industry. You know, I reached out to I reached out to Dickie and I said, look, you know, I'm possibly going to have a chat with with Chris about uh, about your company. And you know, I've got a sense of 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 you know what your experiences are and what you've done, and I'm very comfortable with it. But can you send me something on the CV just so I can get a better sense of your industry experience? And he sent me a CV and it was three page of fine print, deal after deal after deal of construction and engineering. And, you know, he's been doing this for 25 years. There were some 75 projects that he was intimately involved in. So it's not like these guys are coming with no background in the industry or no background in the company because mm. both Dickie and Peter have experience with Deckmill and extensive experience in, in the industry. Um, and it's not like they're looking to initiate some sort of new process that has never been heard of before yeah. and is revolutionary. All they're doing is saying, we've got this, you know, we, we've got this, this company. It's a wonderful company that, you know, the, the foundations of this business are great, but we as a company have lost our way over the last couple of years. Let's just set it back on track. So that's a much simpler process to get comfortable with than, say, a company looking to radically change what the business is doing. So, mm. again, Deckmill, if, if, if we were looking at a company that was radically changing everything it was going to do, we probably wouldn't have looked at it. You know, it's... It's, you know, most turnarounds don't turn around. You know, mm. that's the problem. So you know, I said to Vass, I said to Vass the other day when we were talking about turnarounds, he said, um, I said to him, look, we don't actually invest in turnarounds. He said, what do you mean? I said, we invest in turned around. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so we're, looking for, we're, we're looking for evidence that we can uncover yeah. that whatever, whatever this management team are doing, it's actually already working. And yeah, the market might not get it. The market might not understand it. The market might not see it yet in the earnings profile. But we're not looking to take a risk on on some managerial team's hopes and dreams. You know, uh, Rob, our, uh, our distribution guy, he often says, "Hope is not a strategy." Yeah, we're not looking to invest in hopes and dreams. We're looking to invest in stuff that we can touch and feel, and stuff that we can measure. And I think with Dickie and Peter and the team they've brought on, these are all guys with exceptional um, exceptional experience, 
And perhaps even more than that, their communication has been fantastic. Yeah, mm. not just not just when there's something good to say, but even when there's something bad to say. You know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. They've been very, very proactive in communicating with the market, and they've made themselves available to us to have chats just to get some clarity if we're unsure around, you know, what the meaning might be of one of their announcements. So, I'm thrilled that you know we're invested with a management team that take that view to communication because not all managers do that. And I'm also thrilled that they've got this you know, red flags processes are put in place, you know, it's, you know, processes might not be the most exciting things and it might take some of the magic out of, out of the end results. But if you've got a process in place, it's recordable. You can do it again and again and again. Mm. And, and all of a sudden you go from not really knowing what's coming down the, down, down the pipeline to being able to really have a good sense of, of what earnings are going to look like and what projects are going to look like and what the risks are going to look like. So again, we've sort of gotten off, tra- off, off track a little bit but if you're asking me what I think of Peter, Peter and Dickie, so far, so good. Obviously, time will be the, uh, the ultimate judge of, of whether we're right or wrong. But certainly everything we've seen from them so far has been very, very promising. I like seeing you fired up, Michael. It's, uh, it's a great story. Really appreciate it. Uh, I think it's a very interesting one to follow. So thanks again, mate. Appreciate the time. No worries. Thanks, mate. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest.